Okay, great. Well, so good to see you all today. I'm Matt Wolf, the lead pastor here, and we are in a third week in our series looking at the life of Elijah, who he is and, and what he did. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be in that chapter today. You can follow along on your smartphone. We'll have the, the main verses up here on the screen, so you can follow along. And if you don't have a Bible, that's cool. We'll be going over the story of Elijah, and, and I've called this series Fire from Heaven and we saw last week when fire literally came down from heaven, right? When there was this prayer and then boom, fire came down. There's amazing things that Elijah did. He's one of the great heroes of the Bible. Great heroes. Songs are written about him. Um, he's remembered throughout the New Testament. People uh, were looking forward to this prophecy of a second Elijah to come because he was so important of a figure. And, and I think it's so interesting when we look at someone like that because I grew up going to Sunday school. Anybody else grew up going to Sunday school? There's some of you in here. And I heard these Bible stories, and I had a little children's Bible that I would read with pictures. And when you read these stories, you know, they, sometimes they kind of water down the stories for kids. And, and that's okay, right? They, they, they don't tell you that when David killed Goliath and he went and took a sword and chopped off his head. They don't say that in the children's Bible stories for good reason. But we see these Bible stories, and I think they feel like other people. Like, they're, they're these different type of people over here, and then we're over here normal human beings, right? Anybody feel that way? You hear these stories of David slaying this giant, or um, Noah just had this great faith to build this ark even though it hadn't rained. You know, you hear these stories, and you're like, wow, these people are so different than us. But today, we're going to see that Elijah and all these other heroes, too, were very human. Very human. And with Elijah in particular, he felt some of the depths of emotions that we feel. I think it's really telling in James chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus' brother James wrote about Elijah, and he said that Elijah was a human being just like us. He had to even remind his people in his day, they, they think, oh, this great prophet, he did amazing things, this man of God who called down fire from heaven. Oh, wow, I wish I could be like that, but he's so different. There's no way I'll ever be like that. But today we see that even those biblical heroes are just like us. They feel the depths of despair, of depression, of fear, sadness, trying to figure out, should, can they even go on? So that's what we're going to see today. These biblical heroes, these great heroes, uh, are not much different than us. And if you're in here and you didn't grow up with the Bible stories, we, we have these with our own historical figures too, you know, I, I, I was surprised to learn that people like John Adams or Winston Churchill dealt with debilitating depression. We think, oh, they're these great heroes. We, we, we see someone like Abraham Lincoln who suffered anxiety attacks. These people that we look up to and we think, oh, they're these special heroes. No, 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 they were just like us too. And God knows that. And, and that's why today what we're going to learn, and he, he, this is our big idea, what we're going to learn today is that in the depths of emotions, in the depths of those emotions that we all feel, God is there for you. He was there for Elijah and he's there for you because some of you in here are there right now. You don't even know how you got out of bed this morning because you didn't feel like it. It was hard just to get here. Depression setting in. You're afraid of something in your life. There's that diagnosis and you're thinking, oh no, I don't know if I can face this. We have these things in our life, these emotions, and they bring us down to the depths. But even in those moments, God is there for you. God is there for you. And I don't want you to miss this, because Elijah was a human being just like us. So last week, if you did miss it, you know, God had been preparing Elijah through a very grueling, difficult time to be prepared to stand up to the evil king, which the Bible says was the most evil king ever, a guy named Ahab. He married a woman, Jezebel, who was an evil queen, and she hated God's people, even though it was in God's nation, and she would literally put them to death. 
Anytime she found a prophet of God, a pastor, a teacher, she would kill them. It was a brutal time to be in the land that God had given his people. So Elijah finally stood up to this king last week, and it was this amazing showdown we saw. This showdown because uh, Ahab and Jezebel had been leading the people to worship this other false god named Baal, who was supposedly the god of the rain and the god of the storm, but he wasn't the one able to send down fire. Only the real god, the true god, was able to. And, and we talked about how you can't waffle back and forth between all these different religions and gods and thinking, maybe there's this god, but maybe there's this other thing. No, you've got to choose. God says, no, 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 you shall have no other gods before me. So this was this amazing mountaintop experience, literally, right? Mountaintop, everything's going well. Fire came down from heaven. All of a sudden, people are bowing down and saying, yes, there is one true God. And what's amazing, we didn't look at it. We're actually going to look at it in January. But, but Elijah then, in this time of three and a half years of drought, started to pray. And he was on his knees praying on top of the mountain. And he told Abahab, it's going to pray. Or it's going to rain. It's going to rain. Just wait. And he prayed seven times and, and sent his servant to look and find this little tiny cloud formed and it got bigger and bigger and bigger and rain started flooding and pouring on the land. The drought was over because the God of Israel, the true God, brought rain. Amazing experience, right? It's really interesting. There's this bizarre thing. Somebody asked me about this. It's because right after that rain comes, it says that Elijah ran you know, some 20 miles and beat a chariot to the town where Ahab lived. So he was pumped. I, you know, there may be something spiritual, mysterious, maybe a, some kind of thing going on, but I think he was just pumped, right? He's on top of the mountain. Fire came down from heaven when I prayed. Rain came when I prayed. God is awesome. Now I have the nation's heart. We have gotten rid of the evil king and everybody will recognize that there's one true God, my God. Awesome. Mountaintop experience. But it's often after those mountaintop experiences when the depths get the lowest. It's true. And that's what happens. He runs to this town and he runs to the town where Ahab was living. And that's weird if he's the evil king that had just been trying to kill Elijah. But I think Elijah thought everything was better. I thought, he just thought, man, now we've got the people back. Now people are going to worship the one true God and they're going to leave this evil, murderous ways behind. The king, the queen, all the people. But then it says that Ahab goes home and tells his wife, Jezebel, what had happened on the mountaintop. And she's angry. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 19, verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She's talking about the prophets of Baal that had been put to death for worshiping a false god. Jezebel is mad. It turns out the nation hadn't repented completely. People weren't following the one true God. Jezebel was still in power and she said, Elijah, you're going down. I'm going to kill you if it costs me everything. So it says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I thought this was the great Elijah, the prophet who stood up to the most evil king ever. On the mountaintop, called down fire. He was courageous when everybody else was afraid. And now he's running for fear of his life. What happened there? What happened there? Elijah was human. Just like us. We have these great emotional highs and things are going well and then all of a sudden we fall into the valley. Things are not going well in our life. We're afraid. Fear grips us. Fear grips us. It says that he ran for his life and, and 
he was probably running in a, on the road for about 125 miles. He went down south. 125 miles. And unless you're Jason Romero, that's a long distance. <laughs> he just ran like a 130-mile race in Greece. So that's pretty impressive. But unless you're him, that's a long way to run. But he is terrified. Get out of there. He, he's exhausted after this run, going south as far as he can to the southernmost point of Israel because then maybe, maybe Jezebel won't kill me, he's thinking. And it says in chapter uh, 19, verse 4, he came to a broom bush, just this tiny little tree out in the desert, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He's physically exhausted. He's emotionally exhausted. And he doesn't want to live anymore. You know, I was struggling with this. I was thinking, why is he running for his life and then wants to die? But that's kind of what happens in depression. In fact, um, Ed Welch, one depression expert, says that about depression. He says that if you are depressed, you have a rocky relationship with death. You want it, but you fear it. This is what happens when you get into that emotional pit of despair. Everything he thought was going right, and no, nothing is. He doesn't even want to make it one more day. He says, God, just take my life. I don't want to live any longer. But I thought this was the hero that we all read about in the, when we were kids, right? Calling down fire from heaven. Elijah, this great amazing prophet, the greatest prophet maybe that ever lived, one of them. And here he is having suicidal thoughts, wanting to end it all in sadness and despair and depression. Andrew Solomon um, is a psychologist and he's written extensively about depression and in, he wrote extensively about it, studied it, and then he actually experienced it, which made him write some new stuff about it. So he's, he knows a ton about depression. And in his TED Talk, he was talking about, one time he was at a conference, and he was speaking to a group of people on depression, and at the Friday night he shared, and then afterwards, this woman came up to him. This woman came up to him and said, you know, Dr. Solomon... Um, I've been really struggling with depression for a while. And, and she told him some of the things that had been going on, the medication she was taking, and he tried to give her some advice. And at the end, she said, you know, since it's a weekend conference, my husband's here. He doesn't know I'm struggling with depression. So don't tell him. Just please don't tell him. And he says, of course not. I've, of course I won't tell him anything. And she said, yeah, he's, he's just too much of a man's man. He, I don't know if he can deal with me having depression. Well, um, two days later at the same conference on Sunday morning, Andrew Solomon was teaching again on depression and uh, some different aspects of it. And then after that session, a man comes up. It was that woman's husband. And he says to Dr. Solomon, he says, you know, I've been struggling with depression for years. And it's been a struggle. And he talks to them about it. And he says, but, but please don't tell my wife about it. She'll think that I'm not man enough if she knows that I have depression. Turns out they had the same medication prescription and they were hiding medicine in the same bedroom. The thing is, is that a lot of people are struggling with depression and sadness. A lot of people in their lifetimes deal with this. What Elijah's going through. And I think that we get to see in the depths of his emotion as God comes to help him, we get to learn from that because we need it in our lives. There's some people in here today that are struggling with it. Some people have gone through it or, or may face it in the future. But these depths of despair, this depression, is so difficult. And it's something a lot of us experience. 
And what's amazing is that as Elijah has just prayed to end his life, that he doesn't want to go on any longer, he lays down and falls asleep under this broom bush. And it says that an angel came to him. It says that an angel came to him and, and touched him. And I can just imagine this angel just tapping his shoulder. And he wakes Elijah up from his sleep, being exhausted. And there waiting for Elijah is hot bread that has just been baked. And something to drink. And the angel just says gently, wake up Elijah, it's time to eat. I find this amazing because God sent this angel knowing that Elijah's at the point of despair, at the point of absolute depression, that he can't do anything, doesn't want to go on any farther. He says, you need a meal. Isn't that a cool God? And then after this angel wakes him up, Elijah falls asleep again because he's still exhausted. The angel wakes him up a second time, same way, just taps him on the shoulder and says, wake up, it's time to eat again. He says this, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. See, there was a journey Elijah would have to take ahead of him right after this time. And I think this is so important because Elijah was at the point of despair. He's useless. That's when you're depressed, you're useless. You can't do anything. Sometimes you can't even get out of bed. It's too hard to even make decisions. You can't help anybody, even if you are a great prophet. But God wasn't finished with him. So this is our first point today. With Elijah and for us, for those of you who are struggling right now with depression or have, that when you want to give up, when you're at that point of despair, God's not finished with you yet. This angel said, there's a journey ahead. You have to, get, you have to eat up. There's a journey. There's something ahead for you, Elijah. Still something you're supposed to do. Even when you feel that moment that you want to give up, that you don't know if you can go any longer, you want to even take your own life, God needs you to know that he's not finished with you. He's not finished with you. I I preached a message message on depression and suicide last year. And, uh, you know, just God kind of leads you to those things. I never thought that would be something that I would talk about. But I just talked about it. Didn't know what was going on in my my church, but I I thought I need to do this. So I did that. And right after the service, right after the service, two grown men came up to me and said, you know, these are big burly guys that everybody looks up to and they, they both shared how they had had suicidal thoughts one of them very recently and they had struggled with depression for years uh, another lady called me up that week she had missed church but she got herself even when in depression that's why she wasn't in church watched the message online and she called me up and said we need to talk so I talked for a while because she was dealing with depression and suicidal thoughts as well this, this mother that she would think man she's got everything going for her but she was struggling in the depths of despair And it it was amazing because I got her in touch with one of those first men who had now been trained as a counselor and had gone through depression and they were able to get together and he was able to counsel her. But, But the thing is, these people were at the point of despair and hadn't told anybody. There was another young man in the church, a teenager, who who that week checked himself into the mental hospital because he knew if he was left on his own, bad things would happen. The point is that for all those people and for, for some of you in here today, you may be at that point where you want to give up. But God's not finished with you yet. He's not. He's not finished with you. So if you are here struggling today, I want to know that I'm, here for, uh, that I'm here for you, okay? And there are people all around you that are here for you. There is help that you can get to get out of this point because you're, you're really not yourself. I mean, Elijah was just on the mountain calling down fire and here he is not wanting to go on. That doesn't sound like Elijah, does it? 
But he's human like us. And we go through those moments and we can get through them. In those depths of emotions, God is there for you. He says, never give up. Never give up. And Elijah then realizes he does have a journey ahead of him. And, and what's amazing is that he goes down even farther south. Farther south into the desert. The same desert the Israelites wandered around for 40 years on their way to the promised land. And Elijah, for 40 days and 40 nights, keeps walking through this desert, looking for something, searching for something. And it says that he goes to Mount Horeb. This was the same mountain that Moses had an encounter with God. I think Elijah is still desperate. He needs something. He needs God. And he's going after God, even if it means 40 days in the desert to find this mountain. The same mountain where that burning bush appeared to Moses. And it says in verse 9, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The desperation, do you hear it in Elijah's voice? In this cave, in the desert. And when God asks him, what are you doing here? He, he unloads. He unloads. Because what you see here is, he starts out by saying, I am very, I've been very zealous for you. I've served you. I've done amazing things for you. And still nothing has changed. You know, it's hard to tell what he's upset about, but I really think the problem is that he's very disappointed with how things are going. And that's, that, that's what's going on. He's disappointed. I talked with one woman this week about some of these things. You know, I was asking her about this message, and she said, you know, I think one of the, the hardest things is we have these expectations for ourselves, for other people, for God, and then it doesn't happen. And that's sometimes the hardest emotionally. We get so disappointed, we expect, you know, that we can be successful. We expect that other people will come through. Elijah thought, the Israelites, they've got to repent now. They just saw fire come down from heaven. The rain came after I prayed and ended the drought. Why aren't they turning away from that false God and turning to the true God? Maybe he was disappointed with God. Saying, God, I've been zealous. I've been doing everything you told me to. I went out into the desert. I did all this stuff. And, and now you're not coming through. I thought you were going to turn their hearts back. This disappointment we feel can be so devastating. And this is an amazing story. You've probably heard this before. But at this moment where he is devastated, where he is disappointed with how things are going, angry probably, God says, okay, now I want you to go hide yourself for just a second because I'm going to show myself to you. I'm going to show myself to you. And first, he hears wind. The wind picks up speed and gets gale force winds. Rocks are blowing over the mountain and getting crushed because of this wind. But you know what? God wasn't there in the wind. It says God wasn't there. And then all of a sudden the ground begins to rumble and shake. It's an earthquake. Terrifying if you're there in a cave in the mountain. And it shakes the entire earth. And yet still, God wasn't there in the earthquake. God wasn't there in the earthquake. And then a fire starts up. That's how God showed up last week, right? This fire on the mountain. There's this huge fire consuming everything around him on the mountain. And yet it says, too, that God wasn't there in the fire. 
But then Elijah hears this still, quiet whisper. And that's where God was. You know, God does show up in earthquakes. He does show up in the fire throughout the Bible. He showed up last week as fire. But, but God is not just this God that has power and vengeance and might. He's also the same God that can give us a gentle whisper when we need it. And Elijah, he knew what was going on with Elijah's life, right? He knew what was going on with his despair. He had already told him that. But yet, when Elijah comes on the mountain searching for God, searching for anything, God just asks him, what are you doing here? Isn't that kind of like the voice of the counselor? Saying, tell me what's going on. Have a seat. Lay down. Just tell me what's going on with your life. The tenderness, the gentleness of this God is completely different than the fire on the mountain, right? But it's the same God. And here's our second point today. When you're disappointed, like Elijah was, people haven't met your expectations. When God hasn't met your expectations, God has compassion for you. He has a tender love for you right then. When things aren't going the way that you think they should, he cares for you and and is there in a gentle whisper. The same God that has fire and earthquakes and everything. No, no, no. He's there in the whisper, showing his tenderness to Elijah. Doesn't give him a lecture, saying, what are you doing here? You're a great prophet. You can't be this angry. You can't be upset. What are people going to think about you two, thousands of years from now when they read about this story in the Bible? He doesn't say that. He says, no, no, no. I, I, he's there to comfort him, to show him compassion. He had cooked him a meal when he was exhausted. This is the God of the Bible. In Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, it tells us, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He delivers those who are discouraged. That's our God. In the depths of those emotions that we have, God is there for you. In your disappointment. I read a post online from a woman named Vanitha Risner this week. And she suffers from post-polio syndrome. Which meaning that there are times where out of nowhere she will lose all strength in her muscles. It leads her to have debilitating pain at times. She shared that she had a day this last week where she woke up in tears because she had so much pain. And, and it wasn't just the physical pain because it's the emotional pain that she experiences every week that is the worst. She, she said she just he- heard this voice in her head saying, you are miserable, your life is worthless. You can't do anything yourself. She heard this voice over and over again. She's discouraged, she's disappointed by where she's going, she's crying. But she knew that she needed that encounter with God, the God who's that tender. So she read in the Psalms and she came upon one of the Psalms. She was reading it and finding about this God that is super powerful but also has tender compassion and love for everyone and is near the brokenhearted. And it moved her and at the end of that time of praying and reading the scriptures, she was crying again but it wasn't because of sadness or despair or disappointment. She had tears of joy because she knew that God was with her and had compassion with her in her disappointment. That's our God. And the same God, even after Elijah's poured out his heart and, and God has shown up now in this tender whisper, he asks again, with this quiet whisper, asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The counselor asks, asking again, what are you doing here? And in verse 14, 
Elijah says basically the same prayer. And I want you to notice it's almost the exact same thing. Complaining, laying his heart bare to God. And he says at the end, I am the only one left. The only believer. And now they are trying to kill me too. I think this is so telling because Elijah had just learned when he was on Mount Carmel or right before it that there was that, that, that great man of God that we saw last week who, who had rescued all sorts of prophets. There were a thousand prophets left that were hiding in caves. But Elijah felt all alone. In fact, when he had run now these 125 miles, he left his servant behind. Sometimes that, what's, we are the ones who are pushing other people away. But he felt alone. He's out there in the desert by himself. And I think that he felt a desperate amount of loneliness there. Simone Weil, the French philosopher, talked about this time in our life. And she said that, you know, what happens are two things when you're in these depths of emotion. Is The first one is isolation. We actually push people away from us. We push people away and even when they try to help, we just feel like they don't understand what we're going through. And they don't. They don't understand what we're feeling, the, the things that have happened, the trials we've had, and we push them away. We get angry when people try to help us. Hurt people hurt people, right? You're hurting those people, pushing them away. And the second thing that happens is implosion. We begin to look inward, and it's all focused on ourselves, and we see all the things we're going through and our hardships and what other people have done to us. We get so self-centered and focused that we lose sight of what's actually going on in the world. So some of you in here are in that phase. Maybe you've just moved here or maybe just gotten out of a relationship and it was tough and you feel all alone. Your friends are gone. You just moved to Denver and you don't know anybody. You're here in this church for the first time, but you don't know anybody. And you feel alone sitting next to all these people around you. And Elijah connects with us so well because that's how he felt. He said, God, I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. I'm alone. But in that whisper that God showed up in, he tells him something interesting. He tells him something interesting. He says, no, 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 Elijah, you're not the only one left. He said, there are 7,000, 7,000 that have not bowed down to Baal. I have reserved them for me. 7,000 people that you are unaware of. You're not alone. And he says, you know, on top of that, there's this man named Elisha that I want you to go find. Elisha, not Elijah. And he says, he's going to be your successor, Elijah. He's going to be the prophet that comes after you because you're not going to be alone. He's going to be your apprentice and you're going to have a friend to go with you. And what's amazing is that Elijah then after this time goes out and finds this young man, Elisha, and he says, hey, come with me. And even though he was pretty wealthy, he had 12 oxen, it said he was out in the middle of the field working. So that's a lot of oxen back in the day. He was rich. He leaves it all behind, leaves his family behind, burns his plows because he is going with Elijah. Elijah wasn't alone. He had now this friend to come alongside him. He had 7,000 believers that God had reserved for himself. Elijah was never alone, even though he thought he was. And that's our third point today. When you feel alone, you're never alone. We think we are. We get so focused on ourselves. We get so isolated from other people. We think there's no one else in our life to help us. But you're never alone. You're not. And that's an amazing, encouraging word. You know, there was an anthropologist, and in 1984, he went to one of the primitive tribes in New, Papua New Guinea for the first time, and he was studying them, and he found something really fascinating about this culture, is that there was zero despair, hopelessness, and depression. Nothing. It didn't exist in this culture. And what was interesting, he compared it in another culture, the Amish culture, and he found the same thing. 
There was an absence of despair and depression and hopelessness. And what he found with both these cultures is they were so tight-knit with community that they didn't fall into that depression. They didn't let people get isolated. Because the reality is we're never alone. There are people around us even though we don't see them. We don't see them. You know, I saw one study done in Canada and they found that if you just go to church even once a month, which I encourage every week, but if you just go once a month, the rate of clinical depression will go down 22% just by being around other people once a month who believe something similar than you. So I imagine it goes up the more you attend. (laughs) But the point is we need community because Christians, Elijah experienced depression. He experienced loneliness and despair. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers of all time, he dealt with debilitating depression most of his life. So it doesn't matter that you're a great believer, but what, what... what we need to realize is that we have other people around us, other Christians, and we need them. We need to be in a church community. We need to go even a step further and join a community group so we have people that know our names, that will notice when we're not there and call us up. And when we say, I don't want to talk to you, they'll bug you and keep coming after you. Now, if you're in here today and there was someone who was struggling with depression and was thinking about committing suicide, just I want you to imagine that. Someone here in this room, if you would be willing to talk with them and encourage them, take them out to coffee, if you would be willing to do that, could you just raise your hand? If you'd be willing to be there for somebody else. Now, what, everybody keep your hands up. I want you to, everybody to look to the left and to the right. You're not alone, are you? There's someone here, maybe today you see someone with their hand up and say, I need to talk. Do it. Reach out to them. Reach out to me. We're here for you. You're never alone. Even in the depths of that loneliness, the depths of our emotions, God is there for you. What I think is really interesting, you know, I've read this story before and there's amazing things with Elisha and the the voice, this whisper, you know, oh, that's so cool. But one thing I always missed was this section that right when God's whispering to Elijah and speaking to him, when Elijah comes out to, to meet with God, He tells him something. He tells him his plan. He says, you know, Elijah, you think that things haven't gone well. You think that people's hearts haven't been turned back to you. You think you see this evil king in power and Jezebel's still there. But it's going to get better. And he tells him to go anoint these two kings. One of them, Hazael, is actually in a foreign nation in Damascus. And then he says there's this man, Jehu, in Israel, who is going to take over from King Ahab. He says, those guys, together with Elisha, are actually going to defeat Ahab and Jezebel. They're going to kill them and put them to death. And they're going to end Baal worship. And that's what happens. You can read about it later in 2 Kings chapter 10. Jehu destroyed all the temples to Baal. He set people back to worship the true God. They put to death Jezebel for all the crimes that she had committed. And God told him his plan. You know, sometimes we don't get that. But Elijah needed to know that God had a plan. And this is the part where I think I connect personally the most with Elijah because I think he felt like a failure. He'd been up on the mountain. Things had been going well. And and you notice this every time he prays to God, he's saying, I've been zealous and nothing's happened. He says, I'm worse than my ancestors, meaning he's worse than those poor Israelites who wandered around in the desert complaining to God. I'm worse than them. I've done nothing. I've failed. We've all had those feelings of failure, haven't we? That we're not good enough. That we're inadequate. And it's right there that God says, no, 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 I have a plan. You haven't failed. 
That's our fourth point. When you think you're a failure, God has a plan for success. It may look to you like everything has crashed around you. Your business hasn't worked. Your marriage is destroyed. Your kids don't like you. You think, man, nothing is going right in my life. I am a failure in all these different dimensions. God says, no, no, no. You don't know the end of the story yet. I have a plan for success. That's what he had for Elijah. And it happened. And it's the same thing for our lives. As messed up as we make them, as bad as the things we do and, and make a mess with our lives, God says, no, 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 I have a plan for success through it if you trust me. Henry Nouwen said that our cup is often so full of pain that joy seems completely unreachable. When we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine we will become. Even in those difficult times, God has a plan. He he says, I've got it figured out. I know what's coming. I have a plan for success if you trust me, if you love me. That's why one of everybody's favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This was a prophecy given to the Israelites when they had just been wiped off the face of the planet. Their nation was gone. They had been taken into exile. They were living in a foreign country. And God says, no, no, no. It may look like you failed, but you haven't. I have a plan for success, even in this. I have a plan for success even in this. You know, um, like I said, we have these biblical heroes and we think they're other, they're different, that they have, you know, they're the perfect ones and we're nothing. Because we have these emotions, we have depression, we have things that stop us and we feel like failures, that we're not good enough. And what's amazing is that there was another biblical hero we have that was human just like us. In fact, it says that he was human like us in every respect. His name was Jesus. And he felt the depths of emotions. He felt uh, sadness and despair. I think he felt depression and, and like he didn't want to go on because in the night in the garden before he was betrayed, he said, Father, take this cup for me. I don't want to do it. And, and he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So Jesus said, to the point of death, didn't even want to go on. He was that sad. I think that Jesus felt disappointment because these people he came to save, these miracles he performed among these people, he thought he was going to lead them back to God, and yet they rejected him. How disappointed could you get? And he was disappointed with his disciples too because they abandoned him. He felt the loneliness of being all alone there on the cross as he was hanging. He even felt that God the Father had forsaken him. Felt all alone. But he wasn't a failure. The world thought he was a failure for three days that he was supposed to lead this great messianic movement and everyone would turn back to the Father and they thought he was a failure for sure. But what happened on the third day? They went to the tomb and it was empty. Jesus, who experienced all those depths of emotions that we have, overcame the grave to show that he has power over pain, over depression, over death, over despair, and to give us hope and a new future. To take what looks like a failure and turn it into success because God had a plan through all of that. And that's the Jesus we need to look to, to help us, because he is there for you. So, as I close out this message, some of you are in that period of depths of emotions. You're right there right now. And you need help. 
And I want you to seek after God just like Elijah did, okay? We're going to have a song here, one of my favorite worship songs that Bobby's going to lead us in. And I just want us to be able to cry out to God. You've seen the people around you who are right here. There's people in here who have struggled with depression, who have thought about suicide, who have even tried it. There are people here among us. We all experience the depths of emotion because we are human. And we need that God who is there tenderly to whisper to us, to show us love and compassion, to help lift us out of that. Say, I have a plan for your life. In the depths of emotions, God is there for you. So use this next song as your prayer, crying out to God, saying, Lord, I need you. Let's pray. Father, um, we've all had different periods of emotional canyons, of valleys. We, we think things are going well, and then, bam, we just fall flat on our face in the depths of those emotions, Lord. And, and I pray that you would show us compassion in those times. For the people here today that are struggling, that they don't want to go on one more day from this one, that you would meet them where they are right now. That you'd show them tender compassion. For the people here who feel all alone, would you give them a friend today that would encourage them? And Lord, when we feel like failures, that we haven't done what we should, we've messed it all up and nothing good could come out of it, Lord, show us that you have a plan for success. Lord, I need you. We all need you. Would you come and meet with us tenderly and compassionately right now? Amen.